Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 870. Find your passion and surround yourself with people that share that passion. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, John Benton. Hey, John, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? More than you know. All right. John Benton is the owner of Benton Performance in Anaheim, California. He's a famed Porsche 911, 912, and 356 builder and restorer who prepares these iconic old Porsches for the road, the Concours lawn, and for racing. His builds compete in events including historic racing and the immensely difficult La Carrera Panamericana race in Mexico and the Peking to Paris event in Europe. John's been wrenching on Porsches for over 33 years with the goal to create original stock cars to modified and racing applications, unlocking those Porsches' true potentials. What's John's mantra? Saving the world one Porsche at a time. I like it. So, John, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your business and a very obvious passion for automobiles? Well, Benton Performance is like a lot of other shops. It it began as a hobby. I, uh, as a professional, worked in a corporate world for a long, long time, side by side. During that time, I was running my little Porsche shop, and it grew into what we have today. We can elaborate later, of course, during the discussion, but i I wanted this to be an escape from that whole corporate dynamic that I experienced. So this is more of a culture-driven entity. It, it's centered on Porsches. Well, my listeners know that Porsches are my favorite, Mark. I'm a huge fan of Porsches, and especially the old cars that you work on. Oh, they're all the kind of cars that I lust over. So I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today about these cars you get to work on and dreams you get to build for people. But first, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote or a mantra. I already mentioned one of your sayings that I pulled from your website. This is a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, John, take the wheel. Well, an inspirational quote. You know, that's it's almost cliche these days, right? I mean, if it's coming from me, that quote you mentioned at the beginning, that, that's definitely my quote that was put on a shirt, and it's on my website. But, um, you know, I, if I was just to generate a quote off the bat, at the risk of sounding cliche, I, you know, you, you have to just keep pushing, keep, keep pushing and find that thing that you really like and go with it. I mean, I, I suppose as far as a success mantra, find your passion and surround yourself with people that share that passion. Yes. And during that process, you will always find answers and find ways uh, to experience it to a more full effect. I mean, it's just staying, you know, focused within that community will always lead you in a good direction. Another another thing I believe that's good for me for success is although you may have a you may have a plan, you have to be flexible and you have to be prepared. Um, there, there's always something coming around the corner that you're probably not prepared for, but you have to be able to um, be flexible enough to where you're not in a total reactive mode. You're able to address what's going on and, and, and roll with the punches. Be prepared. I remember that from Boy Scouts. 
be prepared, <laughs> which is certainly a uh, something that you definitely need to be. But let me ask you this. Now, you worked in the corporate world, as you say, but you were doing your passion, your hobby on the side. And eventually, that passion and hobby took over the corporate world. And thank goodness it did. You landed where you have landed now, where you get to play with cool cars and make people very happy. So how does somebody know when there's that point in time that they should make that scary transition, that pivot? For you, was it an easy pivot? It was an easy move? Or did you finally one day wake up and go, I just need to keep doing that, not that? Well, one day I was in a, in a board meeting, staff meeting, and uh, I got rolled under a bus in a big way. Oh, yeah, that's no And uh, I wasn't real happy about it. Yeah. So I went home and had a discussion with my wife. And she said, why don't you just stop that and do this all the time? Cause, because at that time, my shop was part of my house. Okay. I had a fully functional shop at home. You know, I, I was replacing structural parts of cars, rebuilding engines, complete disassembly, reassembly at my home. Wow. So I had, infra- I had infrastructure. I just needed to put it in a box and hang a shingle. Yeah. So the transition was fairly easy mm-hmm. as far as making it happen in a much smaller way. You have to remember that I was, I'm in a much larger space now with several employees, but at that time, it was just me. Sure. But the transition consisted of uh, investing some time and running a little lean and uh, basically eating my 401k. <laughs> this is a great story, and one of the things that comes out of this, and I don't know if it was this way for you, but it sounds like you have a very supportive and a great wife, and the fact that she said, why don't you just do that? Sometimes we need to hear that from somebody, and we need that nudge, that push, and I wouldn't doubt it if that wasn't rolling around in your head before you got thrown under the bus that day in that meeting that you were going you know what i like doing this so much better than that so what would be your takeaway for someone that finds himself in that position and i think you kind of answered part of it is get yourself prepared one thing financially get yourself prepared because yeah it's going to be a little lame so you might have to rely on your savings but you got to have a savings there to do that with but is there something else you might offer a listener out there that finds himself in a similar position where they kind of have something going but they just they need that push out of the nest well so here's the thing you can enjoy tough times when you're doing what you want to do and in some ways you enjoy tough times doing what you want to do much more than you would doing something you really don't like <laughs> yes. so you have yes. you got money in the bank you got insurance you got all the stuff right but Ultimately, you're not really that, that, that happy. You're traveling, you're working long hours. The time you do have, you're exhausted. You know, you're trying to, trying to latch on to what you do like. And, and, you, and, you, and, then, and that kind of, even though you're working hard on that thing you like, it energizes you. So what happens is at the beginning, if you don't have Uncle Sugar financing you or, you know, yeah. <laughs> something going on yeah. like that. Trust fund or something from the family. Yeah, which, which is totally fine. But if you don't have that, you know, you have to, Think in terms of what you need, not what you want. And, and you start small and you ramp up. And here's the other thing. Before I moved into a legitimate legal entity, and when I made the switch to that from my house as a hobby to an entity that paid the city, the state, the county, all the insurance, all that stuff, the Bureau of Automobile Repair and the, and the business licenses – you make the transition mm-hmm. to that. Yeah. So you, you do some math, you figure out what that's going to cost. You do, you, and then there's a thing I didn't realize right away, and it made all the difference. I had a client base already. There you go. Okay? Yep. I had a client base, and some of them 
are successful businessmen. They've been in business for years. So I went to them and I said, hey, I'm doing this full time. I'm transitioning. Do you have any advice? Do you have any advice that will help me make this transition without pitfalls or at least minimize the pitfalls? Right. And I got to tell you, it was very, very helpful. Oh, yeah. Even even unrelated businesses, uh-huh. there's still things that are good business practice and you have to kind of grab into that right away so you're not making up for it later when it takes off. Yeah. You know, that was awesome piece of advice you just offered us there because you do have all these people around you that maybe aren't doing what you're doing, but they are successful. Lean on those folks because you know what? Almost every one of them will be willing to offer you advice and help in all sorts of different ways. So... I'm so glad that you said that. I was hoping you would take us there. I was really hoping for it because that is a key thing is to uh, rely on other people to offer advice. And every successful person I've had on the show here has mentioned that time and time again. Let's go back in time a little bit. I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a moment in life that you realized that you were indeed a car guy? Oh, my earliest childhood memories. I found that during the day the time I was in an automobile was the happiest time of the day. Ah. You know, whether it was going to the market or going to school in the morning, getting picked up, I was fascinated by the fact that we could jump into this machine and be conveyed, and in some cases, quite quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And depending on the family member I was with, oftentimes the experience you have in an automobile is very much dependent on the person behind the wheel. Sure. Their personality transfers into the experience completely. So I had favorite family members and favorite cars, (laughs) but I remember really, really enjoying that. And then it's also the experience of guys in the family and, and, and people in the family doing repairs. Working on cars. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know, you got your uncle Dale and your dad ripping a motor out of a truck and you're like, wow, look at this. (laughs) That's the thing that makes it go. Yeah, that's cool. You know, so this this is something that got into me and it stayed. It's it's not going anywhere anytime soon. (laughs) Obviously, it stayed 33 years later. Absolutely. Well, let's take a look at some of those roads you've driven down. Now, you hung a shingle out. You started your own business. This entrepreneurial trail that we follow is wrought with pitfalls and potholes and sharp curves and trees and all sorts of things that can take us off course. So take us to a time where you had a huge challenge or even a big failure. Kind of walk us through it. But of course, the most important part of those things is what they teach us. So take us to yours. Well, I mean, there's there's been more than a few. I mean, it happens. Jeez, I, I mean, I'm gonna. The, the the reality is, this is it, it is rot with pitfalls. You you were completely right about that because it's not so much the cars. You're also dealing with people, the people that own the automobiles. Right. And I would have to say the thing you really really have to be prepared for that you don't. Okay, let, let me step back a moment. Before I ever opened my LLC, you know, the actual, you know, the actual. Uh, legitimate real business, mm-hmm. I had a group of people I worked with for many, many years, decades, and I built beautiful machines and had wonderful relationships. And, and these were handshake deals. You know, this, there's no RO, right. there's no contract, there's none of this. And one of the mistakes I made early on was I continued that process. Ah, uh, yeah. And it's a level of naivete that will get you in so much trouble. Oh, yes. I mean, tr- trouble on an epic level, because what happens as you transition into a larger entity, you expose yourself to the whole world. Mm-hmm. And then with today's media presence, that just kind of happens. People, they arrive on your doorstep and they're like, hey, you're John, right? I'm, yeah, I'm John. How are you? And they're smiling and grinning. Oh, this is awesome. I love your shop. And you're shaking hands and you're making a deal. 
and that doesn't fly anymore in this in this reality that you're in now. Sure. You have to have paperwork. You have to do what the Bureau of Automotive uh, you have to do what the Bureau of Automotive Repair calls write it right. You know, if, if you have an automotive shop out in the world and you're listening to this and you don't have your permits, your licenses, your Bureau of Automotive Repair uh, licensing, and you're not writing it right and you're not keeping your paperwork up to date, mm-hmm. you're open litigation. You can get yourself in a situation that are so awful. And I've been there. And it's painful because, unfortunately, there is a species of car owner enthusiast that is kind of an interloper to the genuine, emotional, wonderful experience that most of us have. Their big game is to get you to do work and not pay for it. Yeah, take advantage of you. Yes, exactly. Now, I don't know if that's what you want to hear, but I'm telling you that can we can change it and do I have other examples, but that is an actual legitimate thing that can happen to you. And yeah. it's happened to almost every single guy I know. I'm trying to do this interview without pride and without holding back too much, but that's a legitimate thing. Now, I I appreciate you bringing us there because it's a really important aspect of somebody who has a a craft, a trade, and they want to make it professional. And you've got to go the whole way. You've got to get your LLC or however you're going to set up your individual business. You've got to make sure the paperwork's there. The government certainly does not make it easy on us because the bureaucracies involved in licensing and laws and all the taxes and all the things and the EPA, I mean, it it just, it's so compiled, but you've got to go through all those things steps because you're right. There are people that will take advantage of you and they will show up, they'll smile. And before you know it, they'll want everything you own. And so I'm glad you took us here because it's a really important part of business. And a lot of people who are talented in some craft that don't know the business side, that goes back to your original conversation or your original comment about talking to business professionals and asking them all those loopholes. If you're going to be a restorer, go talk to 10, 12, 20 restorers. Find out, ask them the question I just asked, John. What's the biggest hurdle you've had to go through? And I'll tell you, you'll start to hear the same stories over and over, won't you, John? Oh, there's no doubt about it because the recipe is pretty much the same for yes. having a business. Uh, the ingredients may be slightly different, but you're, you know, you're, <laughs> there's a recipe that's required if you're doing it correctly. Absolutely. No, I'm glad you took us there. And it's a really important thing about business. Well, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a story about a career aha moment. It's one of those times in your business life where you went, ah, that is the direction I should go with this business. What was yours? Well, there was actually an aha moment for me that occurred in probably 2011 maybe in 2010, 2011, but I, I've had several shops as I've grown. My first kind of big shop was in La Habra, California, and I had two employees, and I had to let them go as a result of the fallout from the bank collapse of late 08. Uh-huh, yep. So when the banks collapsed, they arbitrarily enforced the, the small print. Oh, yeah. Because what's, what's the expression? Uh, you know, what, what the large print giveth, the small print taketh away. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time, but you're right. So that's exactly what happened. After the bank collapse, my business model was based on a line of credit that I had through a, one of the institutions that's pretty well known. Mm-hmm. They froze that instantly. And so I wasn't prepared for that. You know, you try to be prepared, but all of a sudden my business model didn't work anymore. So I'm kind of dancing around trying to paint a picture for you. But what happened was... I wasn't prepared for it, and things got really slow at the same time because uh, a lot of the there's there's an interesting thing that happens when the stock market is good, business is good. 
Yep. Oh, of course. Yeah. And the stock market tanked. There was a lot of weird stuff going on. And a lot of people, especially um, people that were using money from their home, from refinancing, and people that were doing trust funds, uh-huh. they just went away. They'd like, oh, I'm sorry, I got nothing. Yeah, it all dries up. But it started to come back because the other interesting thing about a volatile stock market is people start doing things like buying gold and buying silver and buying classic cars. Yeah, exactly. They diversify. They put their money in other tangible assets. And in the case of car collectors, and you've seen this happen of late as the market kind of climbed up to 2014. Now it's kind of kind of leveled off in some ways. Of course, the big blue yeah. chip cars always go up. But these Porsches we're talking about today kind of dropped down a little bit. But you're right. A lot of people decided, well, I'm going to put my money there, not in the bank, not in the sure. stock market. And at least I can go out and caress and touch the thing and drive it. And yeah, they, it, 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 they usually, cars usually outperform the market. And they're tangible, and you can actually get in them and yeah, have fun, an, an experience. Fun. Exactly. Yeah. Try writing a dollar bill somewhere. <laughs> I know. It's not much fun, is it? <laughs> so the point I'm trying to make is that so this thing that was occurring in 2009 into 2010 wasn't just happening to me. It was happening to a lot of people. Oh yes. And the enclave that I was in in La Habra was filled with artists that built beautiful things. There's an exhaust company, a hot rod shop, sheen shops. Across the way from me was a really good friend of mine, John Coffey, had Beta Motorsports, building wonderful machines and doing SCCA tech work and all this, all this kind of thing. And, and so they all suffered to the point where a lot of them disappeared. Right. Oh, yeah. So all of a sudden, and I'm not kidding you, the complex I was in became a ghost town. Yeah. Well, it did across the country and the world for that matter. So what happened was I realized that although things slowed down, I was able to cut off a couple of tentacles and hold on to what I had. And I was still functional, mm-hmm. still paying my bills, and things were doing okay. And I was watching the Porsche market kind of like all of a sudden pump up. I'm like, wait a minute, this is my gig, and I, I need to get in the I need to get in the game. Right. And all these guys that have lost lost their businesses because it's just kind of tanked. Mm-hmm. If I can pull their knowledge and put them as part of the team, and I'll just blow out my 401k and do what I got to do, and invest in them and the future. Maybe we got a shot. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Pivot. Yeah. Yeah. It was a hard ride and I took it. You know, I, I had this aha moment like, wait a minute, these guys all need something to do and we can build it. And if we build it, they will most certainly come. So <laughs> I did it. Nice. And nice. it's been, it's been going that direction. So that along with um, asking some of my uh, clients to pay forward on big projects mm-hmm. culminated in the experience you have here today at Benton Performance. Very nice story. Well, how about a proudest career moment? I, I would imagine you made a lot of people very happy and that makes you very proud with the cars you've built and restored for them. Is there one that stands out you'd share? Wow, there's a couple. There's a couple. But I, I will say that I had a client. His first name is Zeke. I resurrected a 67912 for him. And Zeke is a conservative, reserved, very, very professional guy, very unassuming, but really, really top-notch kind of guy. And not the kind of guy that would normally go to car shows and such, or uh, and especially a Concours. But I returned this car to its original color, which was polo red, and really spent a lot of time on it. And it, it came out wonderful. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I did was ask his permission to put it on a trailer and take it to... PCA Concours. 
Cool. And he, he agreed. So I took that car to the Concours. Now, everybody says, you know, oh, you're never going to win a Concours with a, a red Porsche. Uh, oh, a 912, it's never going to happen. And this was at a time when 912s hadn't really come of age, mm-hmm. as they have more recently. So wheeled the car out, brushed the grass off the tires, did Concours prep. I'm well aware of how to do that. Not only did that car win its class in full Concours, it won the show, and it won a division trophy. Wow. That's awesome. And those Concours are tough. The Porsche Concours, the Porsche Club Concours are tough, tough. It was tough. Concours. It was tough. Yeah. And it was, there was very good competition. And Zeke was on – he was there, uh-huh. and he was experiencing all this for the first time. And it's his car winning. That's fun. Oh, yeah. He, he was just like, is this really happening? I was like, it's really happening, man. Soak it in. So, you know, he was standing there holding his trophies, and he, he had a really good time. And, and I, was, uh, I was proud of what uh, my little shop was able to do. You know, it was, at the time, it was a little shop. And, uh, but that spurred me on. I said, you know, look, I, I, I did this. You know, there's plenty of other builders here, and, and I, I can hold my own. So that was good. Proud you should be. Very nice story. Congratulations to you and Zeke. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special car, that first car that you got in your life that really had a strong meaning for you. <laughs> wow. That's a toughie. I've probably been asked this question and answered it 10 different ways. <laughs> well, that's why I emphasize the word first, because it's easy to pick a lot of special cars over the lifetime, but go way, way back to that first car you got. Some For some people, it's their first car, and it's not anything yeah. special. For some people, it's kind of the first time they got a Porsche, say, and they'd wanted one for years or whatever other mark they might be into. Well, you know, it's funny because I had a, a couple of firsts. They were kind of happening at the same time. I've always been a one to grab an opportunity. I didn't have a lot of money. And what I did was I kind of carried my bicycle philosophy into my car philosophy. Because as a, as a kid, like I'm talking about like a kid, I was the guy that went around the neighborhood. And if some kid down the street whose parents had a bunch of money they bought him some fantastic bike and it was on the side of his house with flat tires and it was all messed up. And they, and he got a new bike to replace it. I was, Hey, can I have that? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Opportunity. Yep. You know, my bikes were generally really nice bikes, but they were made out of several bikes. I see. Cool. I like okay. it. Yeah. You know, because I, wow. My first car, the first car I got a ticket in was a 64 Chevy Impala. And, uh, I was 14. Uh-oh. And when I was 14, I looked like I was 11. Yeah. Yeah. How were you driving a car at 14? I just did. You just did. <laughs> you know, a I, rebel. <laughs> well, you know, the term outlaw gets thrown around a lot. I don't know how many of these outlaw characters have actually been arrested. I'm, I'm, I've actually been there. So I've ne- not, not like horrible things, but I had a bad rep where I lived. And I eventually had to leave Southgate because I couldn't drive. The police would. They'd see you coming. Oh, boy. I just couldn't drive in Southgate anymore. I, I moved to the next city over so I could have a peaceful life. <laughs> but anyways, I, I, uh, I would say that the... I had a real love affair for cars in general, but the the car that really probably landed me on my like where I felt like this is it was uh, my first Beetle, which was a a '59 ragtop Beetle. Oh, cool! Awesome ragtop sunroof. Yeah, I like it. Very cool car. My neighbor across the street, Bruce, has a '57, and yeah. I sit here in my desk and watch him drive out on a sunny day like today. And I always run out there and hey, give me a ride. What a cool little car! Well, how about a car you've let go? I would assume you've owned a car in your past that you really wish you had back. And let's kind of take the monetary part out because we know some of these old Porsches prices have gotten absurd on them. So let's take the money part out and just talk about emotion. Is there a car that you've owned that you were emotionally attached to that you are sorry you sold? Well, this is. 
again, this is about Porsches now, and I, you're gonna. This is gonna sound crazy, but the car that I still, until very recently, I have dreams about it was my '68 RSSS Camaro. Ah, well, that's cool. They're cool cars. Uh, this is a Chevy side of me. I drive a Chevy truck when I'm not driving my Porsches mm-hmm. or riding my BMW motorcycles. I I really liked my Chevy Camaro, and I put a lot of time and effort into it. I really, really, really miss that car. It was a ferociously fast car. And another car I really, really miss was my 2005 uh, SRT8 300. I bought that thing brand new, took it completely apart, went through it, made it bigger, better, faster. And uh, that was a really fun car. But as far as air-cooled cars, I'll tell you the one that that got away that bugs me really, really bad. And this, this is probably just as bad as any of the other ones. But the car that got away for me that was very significant in my life and I had so much fun in it was my 66 Carmen Ghia. Oh, I had a 67 when I was in high school. Love that car. Did, did yours do wheel stands? Not quite. I did have a 2110cc motor in that car. We built the motor up, so it had some right power. On. But uh, it wasn't doing wheel stands. I don't remember it ever doing that. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got the, the worst ticket ever in that 66 the worst ticket ever what was in the back of that car to make the front end come off the ground that was uh a little over 1800 cc's at 11 and a half to one ah with uh, (laughs) a yes close ratio gearbox and welded gears yeah heavy diff sticky tires no suspension in the front hardly at all yeah pinners on center lines fiberglass front end two frame in the front single seat that was a street racing car. Yeah, was uh, was, yeah, mine was nothing like that. <laughs> nothing like that. Love those Garmin Kias. Well, let's talk about today. What are some of the projects you're working on right now that have you very excited and fired up? Right now, the the fun stuff I'm working on right now, we're once again preparing the uh, the Rob Curry 356 for La Carrera Panamericana. Mm. I'll be leaving. I'll be leaving in about a week for Mexico. I'll be gone for 20 days between getting across the border, getting to the race, and then, of course, returning. Uh-huh. And that car has been reborn yet again. We're always making improvements, and uh, I'm super jazzed because last year we had we had a bad run. You know, we've won twice. We've podium once. Last year was our first DNF, and it was a really, really. I mean, just let the air out of everything. I mean, everybody was so disappointed because. You know, when you have a lot of success in a right. realm and then you fail, it's like, oh, The God. fall is much farther. Yeah, so so th- I'm really excited. I'm totally, totally excited. We've got a lot of good things going on, and uh, the whole team's ready to go. Exciting. And so that's that's pretty exciting. The other project I'm working on right now is a, a 912, a 68-912 that we're preparing for the 2019 Peking to Paris Oh, wow. Rally. Holy cow. And uh, we're... Just now, prepping the chassis for that. The young men that are that are entering with this car, they have a budget, and and so we're you know we're being creative, and we're going to build the best machine we can. And of course, the rules for peaking to Paris don't allow for a lot of modifications, mm-hmm. so that's helpful. But we're going to reinforce, and we're going to do this the old school way, the way Porsche would have done it, using factory components and reinforcing them uh, where they might fail, and uh, a little bit of uh, English here and there, and. There you go. It should be a really, really good uh, campaigner. I think so. You know, I had Renee Brinkerhoff on this show a couple months ago. She 
races a 356 in the Carrera La Panamericana. And we're very, we're very good friends. Oh, good. Yeah, she's a wonderful lady. I had the pleasure of meeting her on the lawn at Quail, which was pretty cool because I had only spoken to her here in the show. So, uh, wow, very impressive that you're doing these preparations and serving these people's cars down at the races. I wish you guys the best of luck and success and safety down there. That is, yeah. a, that is a scary race. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, John. If you were a car, what kind of car would John be and why? You know, I I believe I would be a 912. <laughs> I kind of thought you'd say that. I think that's why I'm in love with him so much. I've always been a big fan of the underdog. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that. I, I, I love doing more with a smaller package with, with less. Um, it's like this. If, if you can get the job done with a cruiser when there's three battleships around, that's wonderful. You know, you. Nice. Nice. You know, I, I I, I like it. Good answer. Nice answer. Well, John, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right, 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah! podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah! website at carsyeah.com. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimball.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, John, we are back and we're entering the last lap. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions for you and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Sure. Here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Measure twice. <laughs> and cut once. <laughs> Absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your successes over the years? Think before you react. 
Ah, and before you speak, yeah, definitely. <laughs> a lot of people could benefit from that, but great advice. Now, is there a resource out there you'd like to share with our listeners that you really enjoy? Uh, you know what? I, I would I would say if there's if there's a resource that I would recommend people look into, it's Porsche Classic through their local Porsche dealership. Oh yeah, they may not realize it even exists. Porsche Classic has um has been adding adding uh, part numbers by the day, mm-hmm. and it's a big deal. It's, it's it's essential that people utilize it since they're creating it. But I don't think they're they're doing a good job, maybe of promoting it all the way. So I'm going to give them a shout out. I think that's great. Yeah, the the whole program is is really, really spectacular. And being a, a fan of Porsches and having an old Porsche myself, it's amazing what you can access there. And you're right, they just keep building and building on it. And there's so many cool things. I'll make sure I put a link to that on your show notes page here on the Cars yeah website. Now, if you could have a drink, John, with anyone in the automotive industry or field, living or deceased, who would that person be? Dwayne Spencer. Dwayne Spencer. Why Dwayne? I love that man. Like like my father, he left too soon. He was a, a major contributor to the things I know. And every day I pick up a wrench, uh, he's right there. That's nice. Very nice. I wish I could arrange that for you. John, uh, is there a book that you've read that you think our listeners would enjoy as well? Uh, you know, any decent dictionary is a wonderful thing and more people should pick one up. <laughs> You're, you're darn right. Ah, that is funny. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources John has shared on his show notes page on the Cars yeah website. Just go to CarsYow.com, type in John Benton, B-E-N-T-O-N, into the search bar. His page will pop up with all these links, including links to his business. All right, John, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy. I am going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet. doesn't matter what it costs, but you need to keep it. More importantly, I hope you'll drive it. But money's no object today. What would that car be and why? Hmm. I'm going to go with a Porsche 904 with a four-cam motor, not the six-cylinder variant. Okay. But the way God, in, the way God intended, like, <laughs> yeah, just right. I had a guest just last week that picked that car. So it's really funny because... I've had some guests way in the past because now I've had 870 guests here on the show, including you. But just last week, I had somebody pick a 904, and I thought that was kind of interesting. What is it about the 904 that you love so much? It's the first of the generation that brought Porsche from the steel-bodied, flat-bottom. You know, it's, it's the first glass car. It's the thing that started the motion that culminated into the machines of today. But probably the pinnacle of that era was the 917. So it's like the, it's the, it's the grandpapa to that car. And uh, it, it has that interesting gear driven valve train and it's lightweight. It's like 40 inches tall. You could probably change lanes underneath a big rig if you were so inclined. <laughs> yeah. And I would drive it. I would drive it. Well, good. I certainly hope so. That's the whole plan. Wonderful car. One of my favorite old Porsches for sure. They're just Beautiful, beautiful machines. Well, John, you've taken us on a great ride today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better here. And I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yow listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off down the coast highway in that 904 with, of course, a 4-cam motor behind you? Well, you know, be concerned with important things, but don't sweat the small stuff. You have to watch out for that. There you go. And what's the best way for our listeners to follow along with you and learning more about what you're doing? Well, again, we have a website. It's BentonPerformance.com. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. 
And we're right here in Anaheim, and the door is always open. And I welcome people to come by and take a look at the shop and uh, explore the, the many different cars. We usually have between 15 and 20 cars here at any one time being serviced or built. Nice, nice. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything John shared. Again, on his show notes page at carsyad.com, just type John or John Benton into the search bar. That'll be there. I'll make sure there's links to his shop. If you're in the Disneyland area, I think you're just 10 or 15 minutes from Disneyland there. Stop by John's shop and check out the cool cars that he is working on. John, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until you and I get to talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you. You're welcome. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garages built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.